Welcome to Real Estate Real World, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and leaders that are getting it done right now in the real estate industry and beyond. Your host is Marguerite Crispillo, and she started this podcast simply to talk to cool people about what's really happening in this crazy roller coaster ride of real estate. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and stay up to date on the newest stuff by adding yourself to the list at www.realestaterealworld.com. .com. Now your host, Marguerite Crispillo. Hello, everybody. It's Marguerite Crispillo, and happy, happy new year. Today on our show on Real Estate Real World, we have a special guest, Andrew, I can't even believe I screwed up your first name, Andrew Barocas, correct? Correct. <laughs> so usually we mess up. The last name, I know, and that's pretty funny. I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe I messed up your first name. But anyway, I'm honored to have you here. You're all the way on the right coast. You're over there in New York, right? Correct. So we're here in what is normally supposed to be sunny California, and it's pouring down rain here. But I probably can't complain. Do you guys have rain, I mean, snow and stuff right now? No snow right now, but it's a, a cold rain. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, it's not bad here. It's uh, it's like 50 degrees and raining, so I can never really complain when I talk to East Coasters. But So let me read a little bit about you, Andrew. So you are the CEO of MNS Management, and you've enjoyed success as a dominant force and respected authority in the New York City real estate industry for many years. In his accomplished career, he sold over $5 billion, yes, that's $5 billion with a B, worth of property, managed, trained, recruited, and collaborated with the city's top agents and brokers. As CEO and founder of MNS, Andrew currently oversees more than a billion dollars worth of real estate, as well as an exceptional team of talented agents focused on providing the utmost level of client service. Andrew entered the real estate field after graduating from the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. Oh, that's over here in my neck of the woods. He went on to achieve instant success and recognition as one of the top 30 brokers under 30. That's cool. We have a couple of those in our, in our neighborhood. According to The Real Deal, over the years, Andrew has been a continually sought-after expert on real estate. He's been featured in the New York Times, the 30-minute interview quoted in all major New York publications, and spotlighted on the Stoller. Is that Stoller report? Right. Correct. Very cool. Since founding MS in 2006, Andrew has grown the company substantially in terms of its revenue, its team, which is now over 125 people. He also serves as industry as a licensed teacher through the state of New York, passing on his knowledge and array of professional experience of real estate sales to real estate brokers and salespersons. Oh, hold on a second. I just had something weird pop up there. Andrew is also an active member of the Real Estate Board of New York, the Community Housing Improvement Program, Young Jewish Professionals, and Young Presidents Organization. He and his wife, Rachel, are the proud parents of two beautiful girls, Caden 5 and Ella 3. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I, I probably, thank you so much. I probably should update. The, uh, the daughters have gotten a little older. How old are they now? They're 5 and 8. Oh, so yeah, this is like 3 years old, right? So that's okay. We, we got to update them. But daughters are awesome. Aren't they a blast? Did you have a great Christmas? The best. The best. They're, they're the best. Yeah, so I have uh, one daughter, five boys. 
but oh, now yeah. but now we have uh four granddaughters and granddaughters are the best yes they're a blast so so how did you get into the real estate world like how did you end up in this because you went to school but you didn't really go to school for real estate right no so i, I went to school um for business management and um, that's what I was kind of bred to do my, my entire life uh, from early childhood. My family has a large business in the garment center. They manufacture accessories for women's clothing. So fancy wow. stitching, rhinestone, shoulder pads. Wow, the 80s. Hey, I was a girl. I loved shoulder pads back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, the 80s. Uh, it's probably why I'm no longer in. I didn't go into that business because uh, <laughs> people like you stopped wearing shoulder pads. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I thought my whole life that that's what I would, I would go and, and do. And, um, they wanted me to go, um, and work somewhere for a year before coming into my family business. So I looked at all different opportunities and, you know, real estate was one that if you, you know, hit it and did well, you could make the most amount of money in the shortest period of time. So yeah. I really only had one year and what could I do to make as much money in that one year? So I decided to give real estate a try. And um, here we are 16 years, 16 years later, I believe, 17 years. Wow. And um, I never went into my family business. Um, I never left real estate. I, I fell in love with it and uh, started doing very well at it and, um, and really enjoying it. So um, my family was very supportive and uh, really got behind me and, and you know, it didn't pressure me to come into my family business and uh, really, you know, to pursue my own dreams. And it was um, really the right choice. And my father, who's always my childhood mentor, still today is my mentor. And uh, we speak every day for a minimum an hour every day. Wow. Uh, drive into work every morning and get the the privilege of, of, of spending my drive-in speaking to my father. So, um it's never about um, anything other than business. Uh, we don't talk about you know what happened in uh, the Rose Bowl last night. It's it's you know business topics, um, what needs to be resolved. It's it's very um, structured in terms of you know resolving and, and, and going after the large you know the biggest challenges first, and and um, you know not only doing what the, the easy um, things are to do, but going after the more challenging. And it's always you know, what are the most challenging things you're working on? What are the things that you're not getting accomplished that you want to get accomplished? So it's great having somebody like that. It's, it's having a coach and, and by far the biggest part of my success. Yeah, so it sounds like your dad is like the perfect accountability coach. Oh, he's great. He's, um, you know, there, there are times when it's tough, you know, um, but he, he, he pushes me in a way that, uh, you know, works really well for me. You know, he obviously knows me better than anybody. And, um, you know, he knows when to push and when to back off. And when I get mad and hang up, um, I'll call him back uh, either later that day or the following morning. And it's, uh, you know, hey, Papa Dukes. And always <laughs> end so it, it's great having somebody like that. It's really important. And I, and I would strongly recommend it to anybody having some kind of accountability partner or, or coach. Um, is really a, a big part of my success. You know, that's a great point because as we're here today, it's the beginning of January, right? And everybody has a tendency to set all of those goals and resolutions and 
all this stuff that they're going to do in the beginning of the year, right? Kind of like when you go to the gym the first week and the gym is packed, everybody's there, and then it kind of starts to filter out after about the first week or week two. So what kind of goals, like how do you create goals for yourself and how do you really hold yourself accountable to getting that stuff done so that you don't end up in that same trap? So I personally, the way I do it is, is kind of break it into different things because it's, it's, it's not only business goals. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it, it has to be a blend of everything. So I kind of break it into business, personal and family goals um, so that it, it's kind of broken down a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important to not only have goals in business, but also have goals in your family, your relationships um, and for yourself personally as well that are also outside of work. So. I typically do it on that. Um, I have a, a team of, of people that I, I work with, um, and they're they're kind of like um, advisors slash coaches. So um, I, I present to them, and, and I present it at the end of the year, and I'll, I present quarterly to them. So it really helps me um, by talking about these things with people and and. Um, having an accountability partner, these, these people are constantly asking me throughout the year, how's it going? Um, you know, it, it's not, they don't tell you necessarily the things that, you know, everybody wants to hear. It's not, you know, hey, happy new year. How was your Christmas vacation? It was, hey, did you do what you said you were going to do? And, yeah. you know, it, it's important to have those people in your life. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate to have, you know, people around me that, it's just listen. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm somebody who likes to push and, and, and succeed. So, you know, I like it. And, and, you know, I'm a pretty competitive person. So, uh, you know, that also helps. Can you think of, of a goal that you set for yourself that was way bigger than, than you expected that you actually hit? That was way bigger than... Well, I think sometimes we set goals for ourselves that might be bigger than we expect to actually hit, right? Like we're like, like certain numbers. Like I know for me, I, I remember thinking I would love to do a million dollars in gross commission. You know, this was 20 some odd years ago. And I just never thought I could get to that. I was like, I don't know, that's a big, big number, you know? And then when you hit it, you're like, oh, wow, that was quite an accomplishment. Well, one of the things I could tell you is, and, and I, I listen to a lot of people's goals, and, you know, a lot of people's goals are, you know, I want to spend more time with my children, or I want to go out for dinner with my wife, or I want to make a million dollars. You know, my goals all have, you know, at, at the end of the year, if you spoke to that person, it's like, oh, did you, did you succeed? Did you spend more time with their, your wife? And the answer is yes, I spent more time with her, but it's not able to be quantified. Right. So what I can tell you about my goals is that everything has, uh, a, you know, you'll be able to tell at the end of the year if it's if it's been successful or not. So my goals wouldn't be to spend more time with my wife. It would be to twice a week we go out for dinner and, you know, we don't talk about anything other than things in the in the future. We don't right. talk about the kids. We don't talk about the past. We talk about things in the future. And then at the end of the year, I can say that on 43 out of the 52 weeks, I did it, and that's an 82, whatever it is, and, and yes, I succeeded based on that. So more so, measurable. 
very measurable goals. I'm not a goal person that's not measurable. I, I like measurable goals. Um, I like to be able to check in um, throughout the year and, and see how you're doing on your goals. Um, and, and it's important to, to do those things. So um, I, I tend to succeed at the things that I, 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 um, I, set, I set goals to do. I am um, somebody who's going to press to do every single one of them. So I, I do succeed at, at, at all of them um, or else I wouldn't set my mind to do So it sounds to me like the, the thing to keep in mind is if you can measure it, it's way easier. And I think that's a key for a lot of agents and a lot of people is making that measurable because you're right. Like when you said that, you're like, okay, when people say more time, well, what exactly does that mean? Because more time to you could be very different than more time to me. Exactly. And, and I think, um, yeah, you're, I mean, you're hundred percent. It's, uh, it, it has to be measured and if it can't be measured, um, you know, it's not achievable. I, um, I also never set dollar amounts that I want to make. That's not a goal for me. It's never to make a million dollars. And if I speak to a lot of agents that I've either coached, spoken to, it's always to make a dollar amount. Um, what I tell them is they got to work backwards. If you want to make a million dollars, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to do it. You got to, you know, keep breaking it down. And I kind of have my pie chart where it's like a million dollars at the top, which is, you know, $85,000 a month. And how are you going to make $85,000? How many properties do you need to sell? How many properties do you need to list? In order to do that, you know, how many calls do you need to make? How many people do you need to see? How many mailings do you need to send? And, and really break it down to the finest thing. So my goals are always at the bottom, working up to try to achieve the top goal, where most people are just, I want to make a million dollars. And, you know, I saw no I plan to get there. No plan to get there. Yeah. So, I think having a plan of action to get there and, and kind of working from the bottom is a lot easier because if you don't achieve the things at the first step, you know, step two or if you don't make need, the calls, <laughs> you're it. not going to get there. Yeah, so I, mean, I found this quote and it cracks me up because when I was doing some research on you I, and it says, brokers are the easiest thing. You pay them quickly, give them food, give them alcohol, and you can get them to do anything you want. And uh, you posted that quote in what is it, the, one of the magazines. But I was cracking up because that's so true, right? Like everyone talks about trying. So I ran a brokerage of about 120 agents. And to get people to come to office meetings, like the only way you could get them to show up was to do mimosas or, you know, bribe them somehow. So so what brought about that quote what what made you say that well, well first and foremost i was i was speaking to a reporter for like a half hour and that's that that's the the, the two seconds you know, <laughs> that that they wanted to that they wanted to put in there just to get you know reaction it's good uh, though yeah no and true good. tragically true yeah no I, I got a lot of mixed mixed comments back on it um but um you know ultimately you know i, I think you know I was, I was an agent, so, you know, I have an agent's mentality, so I, I always tell people that, that, you know, once you're an agent, you're always an agent, yeah. so, um, you know, I'm an instant gratification, I like to get, you know, I like to see the checks, I like to, you know, my dad made, made me print everyone out on my desk, and as they got bigger, replace them, and, and do that whole thing, so, you know, I, I really, I really focus on getting the agents paid as quickly as possible, um, I know for, 
you know, in, in Christmas time, we were advancing people, and if they were in contract or had signed deals, we were advancing them the money on those deals because it's it's important to show them that um, you know that that you're you're in it with them, um, and you know the importance of just getting paid quickly. So, um, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about being an agent is that there was always this it was always something that held held them up from getting you paid and, and, and I'm just not that way with my agents. Um, you know, I'd rather pay them and then get me the last piece of paperwork, the disclosure statement, whatever it is, um, then hold back their check. It's just, just not in me to do. So, you know, we, we, we like to get agents paid quickly. Um, it's just something that, you know, has always bothered me when I was an agent that you had to wait or this or that, or it was just, you know, 10 different things that you had to do in order to get paid. And, you know, one of them wasn't doing the deal. Yeah. So, um, you know, I always thought that, that was important in terms of the food and, and alcohol. <laughs> it's, it's the great, the greatest thing in, in the world is, you know, I, I'm a big entertainer. I like to feed people. Um, so, you know, I think if, um, you know, you put out a good spread and, you know, there's some good booze, it's, it's, it's a great reason to, to get people to come. So, um, it's just always something that stuck in my mind. You pay them quicker, you, you feed them well, give them some booze, and uh, they'll, they'll sell your properties. So. Um, well, it's a great way to connect and deepen the relationship, right? Because it's one thing to just have a conversation, even like the one we're having. But then if you take that relationship a step further and you go and you sit down and you have a meal together and you break bread, so to speak, the conversation always goes a little bit deeper, right? And then you can deepen that relationship a little bit more when you have that connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. Alcohol definitely... Uh, well, alcohol place. puts a whole different spin on it. A whole different spin. <laughs> so I, what would... I know it's a little early in California, but... Um, well, trust me, uh, it's it's nine, it's what, noon there, so you're welcome to go ahead and... Uh, and I, I can put some Baileys in my coffee. We'll be all good. <laughs> no drinking before 1, 1 p.m. <laughs> so what would you say in dealing with the agents that you've dealt with over the years? Like, what is the one thing that holds them back the most? What keeps them from actually? Easy, easy questions. The okay, fear, good. The fear of rejection um, is what stops most people from succeeding. I think they, they what I call mental bait. They think of every possible bad scenario that somebody could say when you were to cold call them or approach somebody about giving you a listing or just call somebody to tell them about a new building opening up or what it might be. So I think um, the biggest thing that holds agents back is, is the fear of rejection. And the agents that break through that um, quickest are the ones that succeed the most. I think. Um, you know, agents that, you know, can't bounce back from, you know, getting punched a couple times or, or, you know, have chosen the wrong business. So, yeah, it's definitely um, a business where you can't be afraid to make the call or get out and do what you need to do. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's something that I've always asked, um, you know, agents that, you know, in order to be a good agent, you know, you need to have something very similar to a good boxer. And it's the ability to, to take a punch, which most, most agents would never even think of. You know, you have to be fast, you have to be strong, you have to have a good punch, you have to have this. But, you know, the ability to take a good punch is, is in my opinion, um, you know, a key component to being a good fighter and, and certainly a key component to being a good real estate agent.
you know, my, I tell my boys all the time, my, my youngest is now 20 years old and he's definitely got the entrepreneurial spirit, right? He wants to, he's, he actually is designing clothes. He likes to design guys' clothes and shirts. And so we were having a conversation the other day and I said, you know, what I have figured out is that you get paid in direct proportion to your ability to figure stuff out. So if you can figure stuff out quickly and, uh, and figure stuff out first, you'll get paid well. If you cannot figure things out and you're just like, oh, I don't know what the problem is, then you're working at Walmart. Uh, with all due respect to Walmart workers, there's some great ones, but the ones who really figure stuff out will rise to the top. The ones who don't take the time and the energy to educate themselves and and get great mentors and accountability partners will stay stuck. Don't you agree? I completely agree with that. I think yeah. um, I once said something like that. Yours came out a lot more um, eloquent than mine, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I completely agree. You know, you have to be able to solve problems. You need to be able to work through them. You need to be able to, you know, just get hit more than everybody else, I think it is, is the truth. You know, a lot of people look at my success and they say, oh, wow, it's so incredible. You had the best-selling building or you got the most listings or you got this. And no, it's I went on significantly more pitches. I, 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 I got significantly more no's than you got, you know. Yeah. So it's great that you look at all my yeses and all the positives, but, you know, nobody ever really looks into the amount of times I've failed or the amount of times I've lost money or worked on things that didn't succeed or projects that didn't happen. Um, because those are things that I don't talk about. But, yeah. you know, those are those are things that, you know, people don't see, you know, nobody nobody talks about them. And, and, and they're certainly not showing them on, uh, you know, selling New York, uh, you know, all the failures. So. You know, there are a lot of failures and, and everybody that's dealing with the amount of success that, you know, top producers are dealing with, there, there's a, a certain level of, of failure and um, rejection and, and the reason that they're successful is their ability to deal with that. Well, don't you think also that you really, you learn way more from your failures many times. Like that's where you really, you get, you get stepped back or punched back you're like whoa wait a minute i need to reevaluate how i did that or why i did that like don't you think you evaluate your your failures many times in more depth than you do your successes um you do if 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 you if you don't have strong people around you where your mind is always focusing on those failures and you know i know if i didn't have the people around me constantly reminding me of all the successes it would be difficult to walk around with a smile on my face all the time. So yeah. I, I think it's important to have people around you that um, you have respect for, that that know about your business and, and know what's going on so that, um, you know, they could remind you sometimes when you're down that, you know, things could get worse and yeah. things aren't so bad and everybody's, you know, family's healthy. and, and That and, grateful component everything else could, uh, could work itself out. So what is next for you and your company? Like what direction are you looking towards? I know that it, it seems like you're doing a lot more media outreach and stuff like that. So what are your plans for 2017? So we're looking to expand currently. We're working on some projects outside of, of New York. Uh, we are doing stuff in Manhattan, Brooklyn and Queens currently. 
and um, also a couple projects outside of New York. So we're looking to expand our platform outside of the New York area. In addition, we're looking to bring on two new clients this year. Um, you know, I kind of have, I put clients in different tiers, so I'm looking to uh, bring on two uh, large size clients this year. Last year we were successful in bringing on two additional ones that proved to be very successful for us. Um, so, you know, I look to grow it in, in different size clients and, and really one of the things that I learned about business is not, you know, bringing on more than you can handle and really bringing up, you know, on the right amount. You know, it's like my father always said, it's like business is like going to a buffet and you can throw as much on your plate as you want, but, you know, at some point you have to leave and feel comfortable with it and business is the same way. So, um, I love that. you know, I, I, I have the ability to get a lot more. It's just having the team and, and, and structure to support that. And, um, you know, we're in the process of, of building out that infrastructure and, and um, building our, our team uh, vertically to handle all of the, the business that we could potentially bring in. So real estate is a little bit, well, it's different in every, it's different in the same. Like you guys sell more buildings and um, complexes and stuff like that there, right? Because we so do a lot more residential sales here. So we do, um, it, it's all residential that we work on and it's all um, apartment sales in large buildings for the most part, but it could be anywhere from five, 10 unit buildings to 1200 unit buildings. Oh, so okay. We do the sales of the buildings. Um, we also handle leasing for buildings, typically 50 to 100 plus units. So we're handling some of the largest rental uh, projects in New York as well, where we handle the leasing, marketing, advertising, um, staffing of the projects, all the reporting. Uh, we can do the releasing. So that's another component of our business um, in addition to the, the sales and condo side. So I've only been to New York twice. Uh, and so I need to come back out there and visit. Everyone tells me how wonderful it is, but um, the last time I was there, I didn't have the best experience because I flew in from Miami and I was in you know 90 degree weather in Miami and they lost my luggage and I ended up in New York and it was like 28 degrees or something like that. So I didn't have the clothes and I ended up um, in a hotel like in a meatpacking district and I was a little bit lost and confused. It's a whole different world out there than for this California born and bred girl. Yeah, I'm but, sure figure it out. The second time I had a great time, but yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, it's, a, it's a whole different world. So I was out there, but I got to, you know, do a lot of the touristy fun stuff, but it's a great city for sure. I got to see Lion King on Broadway. That was pretty amazing. Cool. That was very amazing. So I know that you said that you have, you have quite a few agents that work for you as well, right? How many agents do you have at your company? There's, I would say there's probably about 80, 85 agents and there's about 45 employees. Okay. So that's a lot of employees for that many agents. So there must be a different structure for how, how you run things for your agents. Correct. So um, it is it is a high number of employees. So we, we also handle the marketing and advertising uh, for our project. So we have a marketing and advertising company as well as a design company that does a lot of the design work for the projects we work on. Um, because the projects could be take your you know hundred unit condo building, 
Um, we have a whole team of people that work on the pre-development, so we get involved in the inception, helping uh, plan the building, unit mix layouts, configurations of the apartments, um, and then you know really working, you know, from early inception to completion of the project. So, you know, we're we're we assign project managers that are overseeing different um, steps of the of the process. So, you know, we could be involved for uh, with a project for two three years before it even starts sales. Oh right, okay. So as we wrap up today, let's talk a little bit about what are your projections for 2017. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with the market? We got a new prez coming in and all kinds of things that are that are going on. So I, I guess it depends on what side of the market or or where. I mean, New York is yeah. a big place. Um, so I, I think certain parts of the market there's there's um, you know room for it to go down, and, and in other parts of the market I think there's room for it to go up. So, um, you know, I don't know what specifically you're talking about, so I'll kind of just be broad. Um, in terms of land prices, I think land prices are going to come down. Um, they've um, gotten to a point where it's made it very challenging for, for condo developers uh, to, to get financing, especially with, um, with construction costs being the way that they are. So the land prices are definitely suffering um, without any sort of 421A tax exemption, which which we right. deal with tax abatements here, um, it's it's made it virtually impossible to, to build a rental project. So you're seeing very new, very few new rental projects being planned. So that has resulted in in land um, less land trades, um, which is is going to affect land prices. So there's room for them to come down there. Um, the high end condo market in Manhattan, I think, is going to there's room to come down. There's um, there's an, an oversupply of, of ultra luxury, um, you know, 10 to 20 million plus dollar apartments. I think that there's um, an opportunity for growth in the in the one to three million dollar market um, in some of the boroughs, Queens, Brooklyn, um, Manhattan, under five million dollar market. I think there is uh, demand in that marketplace still. Uh, the rental market in certain areas will. Um, be affected by oversupply um, currently in, in certain parts of the market, um, but there's a lot of new areas being created in, in, in New York, uh, Hudson Yards, Lower East Side, with Essex Crossing happening there. So I think that you will see an increase in, in certain areas. Um, you know, in terms of, of rentals in the boroughs for the last three, four years, there's been a lot of planning of, of rental buildings in both Queens, Long Island City, specifically downtown Brooklyn, um, in Brooklyn. So I, I do think that you you have um, enough inventory there to um, meet the supply. So I don't think you'll see an increase in pricing. Um, but there are other pockets that have less happening in them that you will see um, an increase in price. So I guess it just depends on on where it is, where it is in the marketplace. Um, you know, we really focus on the, you know, what I call affordable luxury, which is, you know, for us, it's under $2,000 a square foot. Um, so it, it is, you know, the upper part of the market and in a lot of markets, but um, there is a lot of opportunity there. And, and as interest rates um, continue to climb, I think that you're going to see buyers that are heavily dependent on, on financing, um, you know, looking to jump into the market and take advantage of, of where interest rates still are.
Thank you again. And for those of you who are joining us today on Real Estate Real World, where we get to talk with masters in the real estate industry and leadership, like people like Andrew, on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a great review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. Want to keep up with the latest stuff? Pop on over to realestaterealworld.com and add your name to our email address, our email list. So thank you everybody for listening and go out there and help us raise the bar. Thank you for joining us today on Real Estate Real World, where we talk with masters and leaders in real estate and beyond on how we can raise the bar in our industry. Please subscribe over on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. Your reviews encourage us and help others find our podcast. For show notes and hot topics on what's going on right now in our real estate industry, pop on over to www.realestaterealworld.com and add your name to our email. Thanks again for listening. And go out there. Be a part of the elite masterclass in raising the bar on the real estate industry.